And hello, everybody. Brian Sussman here. So great to be with you as we continue our series, Skyjacked. This is episode number 166 in my Brian Sussman Show series. And now we're into Skyjacked. And we've been with Skyjacked now for, let me see, this would be part 13. We've had a couple episodus interruptus moments <laughs> in our last segment we talked about more home runs via climate change that was episode 165 before that 164 episode interruptus where i just sort of went off forgot my notes and went off kind of like i used to do on the radio all the time which i think made my show so interesting because i always used to like to say and i still like to say it my brain is laid out like a ransom note so i may have a plan in the very beginning but it could go any which way and probably will by the way, please follow me on Instagram for daily doses of information, <laughs> information, inspiration. That's at Brian Sussman Show. And then for information, go to Brian Sussman Show on Facebook. Please like, please follow. It's very important that publishers see that I have a tribe. And then my personal website is briansussman.com. All right, we're all set up. What are we going to talk about today? Well, as we continue the series, here we are. You know, this is, if you're listening in order on days actually presented, today would be April 11th, which means we're 11 days away from Earth Day. You want to know about Earth Day? You want to know the real roots behind Earth Day? Because I think it's, it's fascinating to realize and very troublesome that virtually all of the high-minded, influential, ecology, environmental, global warming, climate change proponents are all Marxist thinkers. It's true. Um, now, assuming what I just told you is true, and it is, uh, wouldn't that, if you're if you're a believer in anthropogenic global warming, human-caused global warming, or maybe you're just a skeptic, wouldn't that cause a little ding, 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 little, at least a little ding up in the, uh, in, the, in the space between the ears or a light bulb to go off or something? All of the most influential thinkers, scientists, Al Gore types, etc., they're all Marxist thinkers. Now, why would the Marxists rally so hard around this theory of anthropogenic global warming and make these outlandish claims, fiery rhetoric claims, wild predictive claims. Why would they keep doing that over and over and over? It's because they're trying to scare you into submission. Okay, just another question, and I know we've, we've touched on this briefly in the series, but I think someone like yourself who's listening to a podcast like this you're a thinking person. How in the world are they able to so neatly tie climate change with sustainable development, social justice, and social equity? I mean, those topics are all linked as far as the climate change proponents are concerned. How can that be? By the way, I could ask 10 different people right now, define sustainable development, define social justice, define, define, uh, define social equity. I'll get, I'll get 10 different answers on each of those topics from all 10 of those people. In other words, we'll have 30 different answers. 
because these topics have been framed with those phrases that sound so wonderful, but when you dig through the details, they're not anything that they sound like they are. They're pushing an agenda that is incre incredibly Marxist and, and rewards and favors a few. The wealthy elites are so favored by these plans, especially the sustainable development piece. But we'll get into that on another topic or on an ev another episode. So let's go right now and talk about Earth Day. We're going to go back to 1968. So these were the, the troubling 60s. Uh, I was just a little kid then. I don't remember much. I just, the hippie movement was underway. And, and there was a lot of talk about drugs and a lot of talk about free love and lots of rock and roll. And while I was a musician, even at a young age, the music was really great. The lyrics, sometimes I didn't know what they were talking about. And oftentimes when I learned later what they were talking about, I thought, wow, these people are really cuckoo way out there. But the music was great. It was also a time when a generation was lost. I don't know what that was all about other than we certainly lost, you can, you can see it throughout American history and really history of the world, but countries, there is a flourishing of society when Christianity comes to it, an area or when Christianity is revived, when there is a awakening. It's, it's a historical fact. Whenever authentic Christianity comes into a region and people see the light and are converted, there is a flourishing of society. But it doesn't usually last that long because the sin nature is very, very strong and people go back to their old ways and then things begin to decline. It's the very reason why uh, many founders of the United States of America, though they hardly live perfect lives, and uh, I would be the first to align myself with that crew. I've hardly led a perfect life, but I do know the truth and I'm, I'm efforting to see the truth set me free. The founders of this nation, to a man and if you will, a woman, uh, they, even, they all said this type of government which we're going to institute in the United States of the people, for the people, by the people, it'll only work, you know, liberty, uh, liberty, uh, life, and pursuit of happiness, it will only work with a moral and just people. Because the idea is liberty is the government stays out of your lane, stays out of your life. And with, with liberty, the precepts that liberate someone are precepts from the Bible. It's, these are called natural laws. We've talked about it in past episodes. We'll probably talk about it again. The book that I'm writing is, there's a lot of that in the coming book. But that was the 60s. It was a generation searching. They were searching. And they were about to see a Jesus revolution. Things really did turn around for a brief period of time. But they were a generation lost in space. They were, they were looking for love in all the wrong places, acceptance in all the wrong places, truth in all the wrong places. And... As if on cue, there were a series of ecological mishaps hitting the news. And as a result, you had people like Rachel Carson, who wrote Silent Springs, suddenly looking like, wow, a real prophet. Paul Ehrlich 
wrote Population Bomb, suddenly looked like a real prophet. It was as if everything they had warned about suddenly coming true. We had the New York City garbage collector strike of 1968. You're thinking, a garbage strike? Ecological disaster? Oh, at the time, it was hailed as the greatest ecological disaster ever. And hyped by those on the political left as undeniable proof that humankind was trashing the planet. Pun intended. Back then, there were only three television network newscasts to choose from. ABC, NBC, CBS. Some people watch PBS, but not all that many. But nonetheless, you had basically three networks. And all you had to do was turn on the news, and man, it was trash, 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 piles, 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 New York City. In fact, we were told it was 10,000 tons per day collecting on the streets of New York City. It was pollution on parade. So now we go to January of the following year. This is January 1969. A Union Oil drilling platform six miles off the coast of Santa Barbara, California, sprang a leak. Hundreds of thousands of gallons of crude oil were seeping into the Pacific, washing ashore. The TV cameras were there. Now, never mind the fact, for those of you who have ever walked the beaches of, of Santa Barbara, you know that there are sticky small balls of tar strewn everywhere. Why? It's not from the drilling platforms. It's because there is so much oil under the Earth's crust, below the water, that it's, it's bubbling up all the time. It's naturally leaking. It bubbles up from the ocean floor. Nonetheless, the news media wouldn't tell you that. It was a convenient tool to demonize the American lifestyle, to try take a swipe at capitalism. Oil-coated birds stuck in the same muck that was used to power America's cars. And the nation's first outspoken congressional environmentalist, a very liberal guy from Wisconsin, Gaylord Nelson, senator there, he immediately flies from, Wisconsin, from D.C. to California to see the action for himself. He returns to Washington, D.C., angered at the oil industry, vowing, quote, we are going to do something to wake up America. Several months later, so that's January 69, June of 69, another event. This is Cleveland, Ohio's Cuyahoga River, symbol of a planet in disrepair. So the popular story says the entire river was consumed in flames, burned for hours, but truth is, truth is, fire burned for less than 30 minutes, no conclusive evidence of its cause, Widely accepted, however, that the combination of industrial waste... Listen, the Cuyahoga River was a, was a pit. There's no question about it. Now, during these years, I lived in... That, during that year, I lived in Chicago. <laughs> the Chicago. The Chicago River downtown was gross. Listen, we've done a darn good job cleaning up our riverways in America. We've done a darn good job cleaning up our skies in America. But nonetheless, that's... Let me get back to the story here. <laughs> it's widely accepted that uh, the, the fire was industrial waste, floating debris, somehow ignited below a train trestle. But the blaze would, it was, now here's, see, this is, this is how the entire climate change environmental movement works. The blaze was extinguished so quickly that there were no photographs. No one got a chance to snap a picture of the fire. 
So that didn't stop the media. Time magazine, which was huge at that time, ran a dramatic cover shot of the Cuyahoga River aflame in the next, the very next week. Boom, fire on the water. This was so grossly misleading, and this is what the environmentalists love to do. Why? Because so many of them don't have a moral backbone. That's why. There was a grossly misleading photo taken during a much more serious fire on the Cuyahoga from 1952. They were using, they were using a picture 17 years old on their cover to represent this fire on the Cuyahoga that took place a week before. Nobody knew. The ecological news events of 68 and 69 coincided with hundreds of thousands of hippies, young Marxist revolutionaries taken to the streets of America, protesting the Vietnam War, protesting capitalism. These were the largest protests ever witnessed in the United States, and the nightly news brought the drama into every living room. A new movement had been born. New narcotics, new music, a new desire to get back to the land, as hippies were fond of saying. And then there was the defining moment. August 69, Woodstock, New York. Woodstock Music and Art Fair. 200,000 young people camped in the mud. Three days of peace, love, drugs, rock and roll, and the launch of a radical new vision. These were all the people who say, man, they would call the government the man. They were against the government. They were against the man. And guess what? Now they are the government. Seizing the Woodstock moment, Senator Nelson met with Paul Ehrlich, population bomb guy, and they said, we're going to talk about overpopulation. But it's interesting because in the meeting, or shortly thereafter, Nelson decided to employ a popular tactic that he had developed known as the teach-in, the teach-in. Now, some of you who are my age probably remember the teach-ins. Uh, they were these, <laughs> the, the teacher, in this particular case, I recall it being my earth science teacher, he would scrap the assigned curriculum for the day and you know, we'd sit around cross-legged on the floor and rap about America. And it was an opportunity to just speak out, speak your mind, question authority. You know, for some of these teachers, they talk about America being an imperialist nation. Look what we're doing in Vietnam. Uh, socialism really isn't such a bad form of government. It just needs to be implemented properly. So that was the teach-in. Nelson's efforts were aided by a young liberal activist named Dennis Hayes, former student body president, Stanford University, one of the most liberal institutions in the entire world. If you send your child to Stanford University and you come from a conservative background, all I can say is good luck. Good luck with that. I don't personally know of any examples where those kids stayed conservative. I'm sure there are some, but I've known a lot of people who've gone to Stanford from some otherwise pretty conservative families, and man, they came out the other end far, far to the left, and uh, with a very elitist mentality, too, I might add. But I continue. I continue as I step on toes here, left, right, and center. I, I apologize. I'm just, listen, I'm not, tr I'm not trying to be mean-spirited. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to offend anyone. I'm just sharing with you my observations. 
So Dennis Hayes, Dennis Hayes had an effective track record for what? For organizing anti-American protests. So you have Nelson, Senator Nelson, incredibly progressive liberal. I'm sure you could say socialist. Uh, then you had Paul Ehrlich, population bomb guy. I'm sure you could say socialist. And then you've got Dennis Hayes. I mean, he's ad admitted socialist. And by the way, the term socialism and communism are interchangeable. Let's be realistic because Marx and Engels use them interchangeably. So here is um, Hayes brought in to talk about teach-ins. Nelson wanted to take the strategy of the teach-ins to infiltrate classrooms nationwide. And Nelson's meeting with Ehrlich and says, why not a national teach-in on the environment? See, years later, Nelson elaborated. He said, I was satisfied that if we could tap into the environmental concerns of the general public and infuse the student anti-war energy into the environmental cause, we would generate a demonstration that would force this issue into the political agenda. So they did it. Nelson soon formally announced there would be a national environmental teach-in on, well, in April 1970. Ehrlich and Hayes would play pivotal roles. Ehrlich would be the academic influencer and Hayes would be the rebellious organizer. And after consideration, a name and date were chosen. The name, genius, Earth Day. <laughs> so smart, Earth Day. It's, I mean, how could you touch that? Earth Day, it's, it's, like, it's like Black Lives Matter. How are, you going to, how are you going to touch that one? Well, Black Lives Matter, okay? These people come up with the most creative, um, strategic names and phrases. It's, they are masters of rhetoric. Earth Day. Okay, who's not for Earth Day? And it would be celebrated every April 22nd. <laughs> so here's my story. I wrote about this in ClimateGate, and it's a good one. Earth Day teacher comes into my classroom, and he hands us all Earth Day buttons. Talks about it being a teach-in. We didn't know what the heck he was talking about. All we knew is that it's going to be a little different day in the uh, science class. So we put on our little Earth Day buttons because, you know, who, who wants to be the person that says, I'm not putting one of those on. So we all put them on, of course. <laughs> a bunch of, bunch of lambs being led to slaughter. <laughs> and, and, you know, we'd seen all the environmental disasters on TV. Who's, who wasn't for clean air? Who wasn't for clean water? I go home that night. I have the button on. My dad smells a rat. Now, <laughs> my dad had a way with words. He was one of the, he was the most hilarious cusser I've ever heard in my life. He was just so good. And uh, if this kind of language offends you, just please bear with me for a second. He, he looked at me and he says, well, he said bull bleep. <laughs> he, he was the best. He he could get he could say anything foul, but he somehow get a laugh out of it. I guess because he really wasn't a foul person. <laughs> He just knew that words got reactions. So we're sitting at the dinner table and he says BS to me. Hey, listen, his generation had quite a nose for a scam and he smelled it right away. He goes, oh, so we're celebrating the earth now. Kind of like a birthday. His, his words were dripping with sarcasm. And I just shrugged. 
I was embarrassed. This is what my taxes are paying for, Alice, he says to my mother. I said, well, my science teacher just gave the buttons out. And you just pinned it on? I felt like a goof at this point. I did not know how to respond. Dad let it just sit there for a second. And then he cracked. You know, I'd love to purchase a gift for Mother Earth. But what do you buy for something who has everything? And it took a second. But I saw that gleam in his eye and I cracked up. And he joined in and he slapped me on the shoulder. And with great manly pride, I removed that button. (laughs) But let's just get to the other part of this. There have been many times where I've spoken to many groups across the country and I've asked the audience if there are any people here originally from the former Soviet Union. A lot of folks raise their hands because those people from the former Soviet Union are generally speaking very conservative. Hands shoot up. And then I ask those who raise their hands, and what's the significance of April 22nd? And immediately they reply, viscerally. And, and some will shout, but it's, it's almost as if they're speaking in unison. Vladimir Lenin's birth date. It's a birth date they wish they could forget. Now, when we continue... On tomorrow's edition, we're going to talk about this April 22nd and Vladimir Lenin and why the founders of Earth Day, although to this day, they've all denied it. They've all denied it. But I contend they knew what that date was all about. That will be in the next episode. Don't forget to follow me, Brian Sussman Show on Facebook. Please like please follow. Again, that's just super important that you do that for daily doses of inspiration. My Instagram page at Brian Sussman show. And then my website, briansussman.com. God bless you, my friends. Appreciate you listening until next time.